the Alvin Galloway Show podcast is supported by Courage Men's Clothing and Accessories, located at 836 East Indian School in Phoenix. Call them at 602-595-3383. If you're looking for great men's clothing, suits, shirts, shoes, socks, you name it, hats, and all, you got it right there at Courage Men's Clothing. C-U-R-R-E-G at 836 East Indian School in Phoenix. All right, welcome to the Alvin Galloway Show here on Radio Phoenix. On this segment of the show, I have Miss Quante Cruz, and she is a native of Detroit, Michigan, an ordained minister, and she is a candidate for Phoenix Elementary School District Governing Board. So how are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing, doing fantastic. Thank you. Uh, just a disclaimer, we uh, I know Quante for a, a while. I know that she has three great boys and an awesome husband who's very active in the community. And uh, we're also uh, members of the same church. And uh, uh, so, so glad to have you on my show today. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so why are you running for school board? What... what uh, uh, gave you the initiative to run for school board? Well, um, I, like you mentioned, have um, three amazing boys. And I have one um, uh, in particular who has um, special needs. He's on the autism spectrum. I had, uh, Richard and I had looked at placing our boys at um, a Phoenix Elementary a Montessori school back in um, 2015. And we had our challenges with our son um, uh, being autistic and enrolling at this Montessori school. And they weren't able to service him. And so we, you know, we, we placed him somewhere else. Um, fast forward to a few years later, we still live in the district and we were moving our, uh, we enrolled our uh, middle son into uh, a Phoenix L school. And here we had certain challenges, but another district I got involved with PTO I'm currently our vice president um last year and this year and I got more involved you know just having children go you know mm -hmm. to go in the district our oldest son is spectrum and we were looking for a place um a school for him one of our church members Brandy uh was working at Emerson Elementary um in the special needs program there at that school mm -hmm. and she said Quante you really need to look into um, the school that I work at is really good, and I think it'd be a great place for Jeremiah. And so we did. We looked there. We uh, met with the SPED director. So sorry. We met with the SPED director and um, and her staff, and just to see if it was a good fit and what they thought about Jeremiah. And we brought some of his records just to show them um, a little bit about him. Mm -hmm. And we all thought that it was a good fit. And so we were making st taking steps to enroll him into Emerson Elementary. We pulled him in October um, from Phoenix uh, Christian, which is where he was attending. And we were looking to place him at Emerson either in January or the following school year. That's actually what we ended up deciding. He, um, they didn't have really room for him and coming at the middle of the year like that. Mm -hmm. So we had planned to enroll him actually this year. We didn't know about the quarantine, but you know, we had planned to enroll him this, uh, this fall. Well, in January, the school board was voting to close three schools. 
I know Dunbar was one of them. I'm drawing a blank on the third one. I think it was Edison. And uh, don't hold me to that one. And Emerson, the school we were looking to place our son. And I said, well, why are they going to close this school when their employees are speaking such wonderful things about it to the point where we found out about the school through word of mouth, not because we live here, but because, um, you know, someone said it was good things happening and and we check it out. And so I got a little bit um, more involved on a district level um, as opposed to just at my son's local school. And I noticed that there were other parents who were concerned about the same thing. We were all worried. So were teachers. Everyone was worried about them closing the three schools and what that would mean for the other schools and all the students and teachers. They would have to absorb the new students. The schools would have to absorb new teachers and students in already crowded classrooms Mm. and and limited space. And uh, it it just didn't, for me, it just didn't sit well with me, um, that choice. Now, I went and spoke at um, a couple of forums and met with other parents and listened to their points of view. And eventually the school district decided, hey, maybe we should table this for now because it got people in an uproar, which right, it did. Right. It got people upset and, and they you know, fell back and that, that was good. I was looking at the school board um, members who, um, who are on the board currently, and I saw there were no parents hmm. on the board at all that had, act- I shouldn't say parents, that have children attending school, school in our district which is important because as a parent, you know what they're sending out, you know, the product you're getting and and you know, good things and the bad things about it. And as a parent, um, I hadn't been surveyed much or really um, engaged with any district board members either. You know, there've been, we tried to reach out to the district for our PTO, like for different programs we were doing, but yeah, we, I didn't get a chance to talk to anybody. And, uh, and then I looked at who was running because by this time in January, a lot of, there were several candidates who had already put their name in the race. So I looked at who was running and I just stayed focused on them and the messages they were giving and just kind of looked at, you know, as a concerned parent, as a constituent, who's running that I would support, you know, to replace these other people. I mean, just being being real, I didn't see anyone picking up the concerns that I had. And that's what made me run. After I consistently saw when, especially when they uh, started bringing up the black lives matters, um uh resolutions and things that other school districts were passing this one had a hard time <laughs> and it was very painful listening to them struggle with saying that my sons Life who attend matters. their school matter right. that was very frustrating as a parent and so um i did i i was driving back from vegas um, from a family trip i had a family member get um baptized and that was fun you know being able to support them totally social distance and everything but it was great on my way back and you know how those long road trips are you have time to think Think, right absolutely think and i was driving back and i was thinking and i uh and i said i think i could do this i really think i could do this and i called a good friend of mine who's uh, uh on a school board locally and i called her and i said do you think i could do this am i too late because i wanted to run in the beginning of the year but again you know life you know circumstances and things i wasn't hundred percent, you know, sure um, if I wanted to do it. But after looking into it, I said, you know what? I could totally do this. Mm-hmm. You know, I love all children, you know, whether they, you know, mine or others, you know, I serve at church uh, with children and I really want what's best for all the kids right. and the teachers who are in the classroom with them. And I felt that, that the concerns that I had as a mother uh, were important and that someone should be lifting up 
the challenges that my sons are facing and the things that are, are, are facing them. Seven and a half percent of the Phoenix L student population is black or of African descent. Because, you know, some people, they don't want to say African-American. The kids are of African descent and they make up 20 percent of the out of school suspensions. Mm. The problem. That is a problem. Rich dealt with that with our oldest son. I mean, with our middle son, Malachi, he would get suspended. And then we would say, can we have an investigation about what happened? Because when we talk to him, things aren't adding up. And then when they would do an investigation, you know, sometimes they didn't even ask the kids that were right next to him. Did you ask so-and-so what happened before you just took some other kids word for it, you know, or before you just took the teacher's word for it? We need to be careful. Um, One of the teachers saw him in um, a behavior that he had done. And, you know, I said, this is full of bias. Why would my son do that? And um, and just to protect him, I won't say what it was, but why, why do you think that a black boy is just, you know, going to just go and do something like that at six years old? Have you thought about why you think that that's what's his intent? How about intent? Because intent is big, a big deal. Right. He's six, you know? We criminalize using adult terms with children, okay? Because they're children. They're not. If it was a grown man, that's one thing. Right. But an amount of child, you know, they don't don't have that. And so I looked at the disciplinary um, document policies and things, and some of this is criminalized language. Are we here to take care of children and redirect them and help them learn to make better choices? Or are we looking at it from a criminal justice standpoint? There's no criminal justice in school. It's restorative justice. And that's one of the concerns that I have in a part of my platform is restorative disciplinary practices because we need to see our children as children and we need to teach other people to see our kids as children too. My boys are children. And even if they do make mistakes or bad choices, they're still children and there's a chance to redirect them. They need to learn the right way. Children, all children try things. They try new things. Yeah, they're growing. They're experimenting. Yeah. Yeah. They just trying it out. Right. And it's our job to say, no, that's not okay. And don't do it again. Right. But you can't get the child to um, to even understand these adult terms that they were using with them sometimes. And not just my son, but with other children. You know, they would use adult terms, adult language. They're kids. They're not thinking the way that we are. And yeah. we can't, um, you know, uh, kids to grow up before their time. Let's Absolutely. let them be children. Absolutely. And let's embrace the fact children and this opportunity that we have to shape their mind because when they get older it's over right absolutely you, you know, know I, it's great that uh, <laughs> that you're involved because um, I know when my daughter was growing up I was very involved in in her school and PTO PTO president and everything because um we have, big part I said look at you brother Galloway <laughs> it's because we we have to be because of the uh, bias that goes on in today's society because you know administrators teachers whatever they live out in the community and they might not have any contact with black people at all until they get to that school and mm-hmm. so if they're not awareness uh, aware of um, the cultural implications uh, the corporate cultural things that happen in various uh, uh, families and ethnicities um, what they see as one thing and whatever background they came from can be uh, totally different uh, mm-hmm. of the meaning. And so we have to be there, as, I'll say, as guardians of our mm-hmm. of our children, mm-hmm. of our society. And that's that's right. And that goes for parents, too. You know, mm-hmm. there are some, you know, behaviors that I've seen a teacher do 
you know, and I'm very direct. I will ask, you know, well, I saw this happening. What does that mean? And then they'll explain it. And we're all learning from each other. Right. The beautiful thing about this is in the classroom, that's where you see America at its best. You have young people who haven't been, for the most part, indoctrinated with this, you know, uh, system of white supremacy mm-hmm. like we have. You know, we've been stuck in it right. for a long time. But yeah, absolutely. This opportunity to do something different and not only do the teachers um, and administrators and staff you know need to learn more about bias and prejudice and things like that but so do we we all have our own you know experiences that you know make us think what we think about certain people or that we don't um, and we all need to learn from each other because sure. I've learned a lot of things from other parents like my uh, running mate Alicia Vink I've learned a lot from her too we learn from each other and and that's why um, I partnered with her because mm-hmm. We're both open to learning um, from each other and and helping the people that we interact with every day learn too, and especially with the children. You know, we're pretty much stuck in our ways. I mean, people can change for sure, but the children is a beautiful opportunity to shape the next generation. And if we're giving them, um, you know, a piece of our experience from forty years ago, I mean, that's just not fair. Mm -hmm. They don't live in that time. You know, they live in twenty. And and that's what we're expecting. And we're expecting our children to be treated fairly and justly. And we're expected people to see them as children. And we're expecting teachers and administrators and staff to partner with us as parents and, and, and with the community to make a difference. Because th- we're all shaping these kids' uh, lives. And if we're not all on the same page and uh, and if we're if giving, handing these uh, biases off and giving them to kids, they internalize that. You know, there are yeah. some things that were said to Malachi that, you know, he internalized and we have to lift him up every day. Like, right. no, yeah. you're intelligent, you're amazing, you're a child of God, and, and you're going to do wonderful things, you know. And, yeah, you want to speak life into your children every day, but what would his um, outlook or his uh, view of himself, his confidence be if he didn't have that one teacher that was, you know, saying all kinds of stuff and, and having him internalize things that she said about him. Yeah. Um, and so those are things that are a major, major concern for me. And that inequitable um, uh, funding. Some schools are doing really well in Phoenix Cell mm-hmm. um, and some are not. And when you look at the um, test scores and the funding available and programs that they have, um, you can see the inequity, right? Not just you know low income areas, you know areas, uh, Central Phoenix is changing. You know it's hard to find a reasonable apartment out here Ooh, right Lord now. Oh, have mercy! Tell me about it. <laughs> we're pushing families out right. in a minute. Yeah. We may not have kids, and that's also a part of um, uh, partnerships and things that I hope to when I'm elected um, to to bring forth. You know what about you know. Uh, affordable housing downtown Mm -hmm. every apartment complex we've seen is luxury and out of everybody's reach right even lawyers and doctors who are like who are renting these apartments uh, i'm trying to figure that out too (laughs) 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 who's renting these and what's going on um and and not saying that those apartments don't belong there but we also have to be equitable when it comes to how things are, are are being um are are being done and maybe the school board doesn't have a direct impact on that Right. Not directly, but you can partner with with um, with with different organizations to make sure they're at the table, too. And that, you know, when they're making some of these decisions, we think about the parents that are being pushed out or the families or the children who maybe their parents really like the school district and they don't want to leave downtown. They want to wait till they find something. And so they're in their car. Mm. Then we have COVID. 
we have you know families on the street right now right Evictions have been high even before uh the quarantine and coronavirus um pandemic happened and so those are things that are a major concern for me too you know is that this uh community is changing and that's fine but we need to protect the people who have been here keeping it going right. and not pushing them out to make room for some other folks that haven't been here yet and aren't a part of the culture and don't understand how downtown Phoenix works. Well, I understand you're uh, you're endorsed and supported by Arizona List uh, organization. I, That's a great organization. I am. I'm so thankful for them mm-hmm. and their endorsement and, and their support of women in politics. Right. And willingness to to back us um, and, and support us and, and make sure that we get uh, uh, the information that we need. I am not a politician, as you know. I'm a real estate appraiser, uh, a, a minister, and a mom, right? <laughs> and so this has been a learning journey. And without Arizona List, without, um, I'm also endorsed by Planned Parenthood, without their support, um, I'm also endorsed by Our Voice, Our Vote, um, and the Arizona Informant. Without the support of these organizations, um, I would have, uh, I would don't know what I would have done. Right. They've been very instrumental in helping me um, and, and answer any questions I have and, and, and helping me figure some of these things out that you wouldn't know unless you're a politician. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it, it takes, I would say, quote unquote, real people. Now, the other people ain't real, but somebody who's on the ground experiencing various situations uh, to get active and to make change. So people know that, OK, we can't just throw this out there and, and push it our, their way. Uh, the mm-hmm. different policies and and everything. So I really love the things that you're saying about how, how you develop partnerships uh, with other organizations, other people to uh, to uplift the the common folk because the common <laughs> folk are the, are the backbone of the society. As we found out, <laughs> right, right with right. with uh, uh, grocery store workers. Mm-hmm. When you think of who was essential, did this not teach everybody a lesson? Right. Absolutely. And I remember working at Kmart as a young girl. I worked at Kmart sophomore year in high school to my. Uh-oh. I think we might have lost uh, Miss Cruz. We'll see if she comes back on. This is a Zoom recording, and, you know, sometimes with the modern technology, things don't go as planned or as well. We'll hold on. Um, maybe she'll come back. As you know, this is the Alvin Galloway Show here on RadioPhoenix.org. Uh, We're in the basement of the Phoenix Center for the Arts and uh, uh, waiting to see if uh, Miss Quante Cruz, who is a candidate for Phoenix Elementary School District uh, in around downtown Phoenix, uh, she's uh, running for a governing board position, and uh, we're having a great conversation in regards to her positions and why she's got involved in uh, um, uh, running for office. Are you still haunted by that old love that's hanging around your driveway? Is your front yard cluttered with the remains of an old romance? Are the neighbors starting to shake their heads because you just can't let go? Then it's time to get rid of that old car. 
boat, motorcycle, or anything else with a motor. And no, we are not taking your lawnmowers. For a tax deduction for you and a charitable contribution to Radio Phoenix. Now, for more information about Radio Phoenix's CARS donation program, just call 1-877-919-7749. Again, that's one 1- Eight seven seven nine one nine seven seven four nine. Radio Phoenix and your neighbors, thank you in advance. Absolutely. This, this is, is Basement, Basement Tapes. Tapes. You're listening to the Alvin Galloway Show. Stay tuned as you tune in for an intellectual tune-up. The Alvin Galloway Show for conversation, information, music, and culture. Every Sunday, 2 p.m. to 4 p.m., on RadioPhoenix.org. And tune in to Basement Tapes Radio, Thursdays at 9 p.m. Yep. She's back. Yep, you made it back. So yeah. sorry about that, Brother oh, Galloway. That's all right. You know, this, this technology right stuff. back in, though. Not yeah. missing a beat. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Uh, you were saying some great things uh, uh, about the essential workers and what we learned uh, in this oh, pandemic. Yes. As a people, yeah. yeah. Because, I mean, when it, when it was all said and done, I mean, who ha- who was not allowed to stay home? Because if they stayed home, the rest of us would not be okay, right? right? right. When we think about that, that was in, in, you know, people who work in the medical field. I mean, my cousin hasn't had a time off at all. Mm-hmm. Um you know, when it comes to the grocery um, uh, grocery store workers and people who deal with um, with food handling in general. I mean, after a while, even Red Lobster and, and different restaurants had employees working and right. then the rest of us were picking it up. Right. Yeah. Those are the yeah. people who I was. I was right. a little, you know, there were some times I said, you know, I've had enough of uh, my food. I need to do something. Different. <laughs> <laughs> I've had something different today. Um, but. But no, they, these people were working. And that's who, uh, saying the common folk, that's who's being pushed out of downtown Phoenix right now. Mm-hmm. And I know this is a school board race. And, um, and I mean, I have no desire to just do anything else. You well, know, well, you do, you I'm, might, going, I'm going to just as a mom. You might not but, have any desire. Well, but at this time, I'm focused <laughs> on right now. Right, I know, right? <laughs> right now, I'm focused on the school board mm-hmm. and where my kids attend school mm-hmm. and, and, and their families. And being concerned about um, affordable housing and this, you know, new development is also being concerned for those families. Because like I said, I know families who are in their car right now Mm, and you may not see it as a school board issue, but it is when they attend our district and their parents can't afford to move anywhere right now because of how, you know, rent is. And so they're in there and they're living in their car or they're living with family or they're piled up with neighbors Um, because I had neighbors over here in our place where, you know, they lost their place and then another neighbor took the family in. And and yeah, it's hard out here. Yeah, and, for everybody. And, and with that, you know, because uh, you know, schools are doing uh, distance learning. You know, you had to go on the internet and everything. If you without a home, um, you're without internet service, and your kids are falling behind. So that's definitely an issue. Definitely. And let me tell you the beautiful thing about Phoenix L. Um, and I was so proud. And I tell every family that I meet. That um, that that attends a district that I know doesn't have um, internet service or a stable um, residence. They were providing um, uh, 
uh, either laptops or tablets for the children and hotspots. So even the children who don't have a stable home, if their parents had, you know, spoke up and said, hey, you know, I need a hotspot or I need a laptop for my child. All they had to do was go down to their school's office and pick it up. Oh, that's great. That's wonderful. And some of us, if you can't afford to have the bandwidth, you know, there's three dudes over here, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and then I'm working from home as, as well. Right. And, um, and yeah, because there were, there were three of them, um, or two of them, because only two boys go to Phoenix Cell, and they're the ones who use the hotspot. But the district gave a hotspot for us over here. Right. Because there's two of them, and they kept getting kicked off um, um, off the off cops. Because, yeah. I mean, I'm working. Jeremiah has school, too. Like, so we were all, you know, trying to use ours here at home. And they even were, was extended that to me. You know, there are resources um, that... Um, you know that are that are here that are out here absolutely so how do how do folks if they want to get more information about you your candidacy uh, how do they reach you okay so um our our website is www.quanteforphoenix.com i'll spell that because i know my name is a little different mm-hmm. it's um www.quantafor P-H-O-E-N-I-X.com. Um, if they want to send me an email or uh, or get in touch with me, they can um, reach out to me at Quante for Phoenix with four spelled out, just like we spelled it, at gmail.com. I can be found on Instagram and Facebook um, with Quante for Phoenix. If you just do the at and the handle is Quante for Phoenix, please reach out to me. I want to hear from you. If you have anything or you want to add or any concerns, if you want to correct me on anything, because I've been, you know, that happens sometimes too. If you have any feedback at all, I want to hear about it. I want to hear from you. Uh, reach out to me and I'll get back to you. I'd love to hear from, you know, anyone and their thoughts that they have about Phoenix um, L, about educate public education and about uh, ideas that we, that they have that could help our families. And I understand you, uh, you are supportive of uh, Proposition uh, um, 208. I am. I am. And that Prop 208, I had to have a discussion with someone recently. This is funding that has been taken from public education and is being returned. So it does tax, you know, if they if you make over um, what $250,000, the $250,000 and less is not taxed. It's every dollar over that. And so, um, yeah, I do support it. I think that Arizona needs to fully fund its public education system. Absolutely. And if we didn't, if it was fully funded, we wouldn't have to have all these makeshift things on the side. Absolutely. And I won't even go into what it is, <laughs> but I've been one of those moms. I've been on ESA. I know how it works. Mm-hmm. We wouldn't need that if we fully funded our public education system like other states. If Mississippi can spend more on their kids per pupil, the state of Arizona can do it. Absolutely. And I don't know how we get it, how we get it together. But they'll be seeing me because there's no excuse um, for the uh, the low level with Arizona being what forty eighth in, in per pupil spending. Right. Yeah. That's, that's insane. insane. Yeah. Absolutely. We we make way we have way too many resources here to to expect our teachers and administrators and staff to give our children a quality education and not give them enough money mm-hmm. and just throw them something to tell them to figure it out. Right. But if parents don't like it, we have, have all these other options for you that the state is also funding. 
if we could do, if we can fund these other options, we should be able to fund the school system yes. that all of us return to when our ch children need it. When the charter schools don't work, when private schools don't work, when ESA do not work, where do people come? Right back to the public education system. And so we, and as a parent that, you know, had a child that was on the other systems and has gone to other places, I see that the public education system is necessary and it must be fully funded if we want to have, give this generation a better chance than what we had. We're doing okay, but they have an opportunity to do so much better. And if we fund the education system and give this, the schools what they need, right, then we're taking care of ourselves in the long run mm -hmm. and our grandchildren and whoever they'll marry or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, if we don't do this, they're going to look back at us and try to figure out what's going on, how we're looking at some of these other generations, or at least how I am. Right. You know, what were you guys thinking? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, we don't want that. Right. We want to do what's best for them. And we have no excuses. We have the resources and we need to allocate them properly and do what's right by uh, by the school system and by our community. Great. Well, appreciate you coming on and sharing your thoughts and uh, good luck in your, you. uh, your run for the school thank board. You. And uh, we'll see you soon. All right. Take care. And thank you for your support and allowing me to be on your show. You're I welcome. really appreciate it. Absolutely. All right. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. This is the Alvin Galloway Show here on RadioPhoenix.org. One way you can support Radio Phoenix is by becoming one of our members. For as little as $35 per year, members receive discounts, savings, and other benefits provided by our membership program partners. And don't forget the membership fee is tax deductible. For more information or to sign up, call 480-829-5746 or go online to radiophoenix.org. Click on the support tab at the top and then become a member on the drop-down menu. We thank you for your generous support of Community Radio. For this coming November's election, your vote is your power. Your vote is your civil rights. Your vote is your human rights. Your vote is your livelihood. And all that is at stake in this coming election. Whether it's for the president, senators, congressperson, councilman, mayor, whatever the position is, impacts your livelihood, your very existence. Voting is essential to your life. This is the Alvin Galloway Show here on RadioPhoenix.org. And on this segment of the show, I have uh, actually a little, little co-host with me, Miss Leslie Beatty. And uh, and then our guest is Miss Whitney Walker. Um, Leslie uh, actually has a show on Radio Phoenix somewhat, and I've been <laughs> employing her to kind of assist me in my show. So we're looking forward to that. And then uh, Miss Walker, uh, Whitney Walker, is a candidate for uh, Maricopa County Supervisor District. 
three? Yes. District three. Yeah, I, I, my yes. mind was going all through the district. So. <laughs> and she's been a guest on the show before. And in this segment, we're talking about uh, domestic violence. October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. And I wanted to get some words from uh, Miss Walker um, and um, Leslie, uh, because they both have uh, uh, been on this issue, talked about this issue, and had some personal experiences with this issue. So... Actually, I'm going to let Leslie kind of kick it off, and I'll jump in whenever I, you know, I'm pulling double dutch trying to jump in there. <laughs> <laughs> well, first, it's a pleasure to be here with you, Ms. Walker, um, and to actually have you on the show and be able to get your insights on domestic violence, um, what's driving your passion behind domestic violence, um, as well as learn what you have done in the community and what you plan to do um, in the future. Um, like Mr. Galloway said, I am a survivor of domestic violence. And with this being Domestic Violence Awareness Month, um, there's a lot of information that's out there, people sharing their stories. Um, and so it means a lot to me to be able to, to have this discussion to help other survivors get to the point of thriving or even have victims get to the point of surviving. Because as you probably know, um, that's a very... Um, challenging place to be in life. And so I, I guess I would first like to ask, you know, what is your experience with domestic violence and what, what has driven you to do a lot of work in the community? Thank you so much for this question. And uh, first, I want to thank uh, Mr. Galloway for actually highlighting this issue in particular um, within the African-American community, because it's something that um, we do not talk about. However, Black women are the ones that are most impacted. Um, so I just want to say thank you for centering this conversation and lifting up uh, this, this important issue. Uh, my um, connection with domestic violence um, started and, and happened with my older sister, um, my beloved older sister, the one who taught me all of the TLC dance uh, songs and dances, SWV, um, the person who taught me how to do my makeup and, and how to navigate middle school. Um, she is a survivor. She was in a domestic violence, a marriage, unfortunately, um, which led to her incarceration for five years. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, back then, um, and it happened in the summer of 2009, and it, it completely, um, you know, was a, a gut punch for me because uh, my mom and I, we didn't have the language or didn't even know that shelters exist or advocacy exists um, and what that looked like, especially for a woman of color. Um, with low economic means. And so even when I was an undergrad, I actually was studying to be an urban planner and I completely changed tra uh, career trajectories and went to law school so I can learn the United States Constitution um, and also uh, the criminal legal system so I can um, start to work on gender-based violence and the intersection of racism and classism. And uh, so far from that, um, I've worked on the Reauthorization of Violence Against Women Act, um, doing a lot of public policy as well in the state of Arizona. Um, one of them, uh, most importantly, is for the first time in Arizona, making sure that protective orders were accessible online. Um, and that was implemented this year. And also advocating to make sure it was inclusive for of race and ethnicity and also gender identity as well. So those who were seeking... Um, oh, no, it went out. I think it went out. No, you're still there. 
Oh, yeah, I'm still there. Okay, sorry. <laughs> so those, um, uh, that's one of the things about Zoom, right? Um, right. But so for those who are seeking protective orders, they feel like they're included in the conversation. Um, you know, my sister now is is a person that went from a victim to a survivor. And now she's thriving. Um, but our family still experienced those challenges because um, it's trauma. It's and trauma. so, um, Yeah. Let me jump in real quick, and Leslie Parr is going to jump in too on this. But uh, what were some of the steps that you think they got her from surviving to thriving? Um, it, it was really, um, for one, having a community that understood and knew what she was going through. Um, within gender-based violence, um, it's, a, it's a phenomenon or this term you call ga- uh, gaslighting, mm-hmm. where... Um, People who are victim and being traumatized, you know, sometimes the most closest inner circle uh, don't affirm or don't don't acknowledge the pain or the trauma, the harm that they're experiencing. And it's mainly partly due, especially within the African-American community, that's something that we don't talk about. I mean, we see it in other different um, uh, violence that we have in our communities where we, um, instead of actually talking about it and seeking services and resources, we always say pray about it. Right. Or what stays in this house, you know, what happens in this house stays in this house. Yes. Uh, Yeah. Or we don't have the language to talk about what emotional abuse is. Right. What is coercion? What is financial abuse? Um, You know, it's all of these things that um, we did not we don't know. and, 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 And largely we still don't know. Um, we're still having a hard time, especially within our community, to grapple with the acceptance of going to therapy and improving um, from a holistic approach your mental health. So um, to cope with that with uh, violence within the home where, you know, for most part, especially within the African-American community, um, we don't have a, a very well trusted relationship with government or with entities in general. So those are the, the the people or the folks that we don't first seek to uh, help us out of a harmful situation. Um, on top of, you know, sometimes service providers or organizations may not be uh, culturally competent to handle and deal with the intersections that race um, plays, especially when uh, survivors or victims are trying to seek uh, resources as well. Okay. Absolutely. I, you have said so much in just, what, two minutes? <laughs> and, and you have hit, I think, every aspect of the power and control wheel when you talked about the emotional abuse, the financial abuse, coercion, even isolation. That's the first step of entrapment, mm-hmm. right? Um, and and I, a couple of things that stood out to me, I wrote these things down. You mentioned what's happening to women of color and how we're not prepared. Um, you also mentioned um, things that probably that led to your sister's incarceration and then you all not knowing the law. And, and I can say from a personal experience, I didn't grow up dealing with the police. Um, and how probably my family back in North Carolina, because everybody's out there, how they would have handled things is not the way that I could have handled things here, especially with two children. And so one of the things that, you know, I think, and, and I hear this from a lot of survivors, they don't know the the statutes, they don't know what they can do, what they can't do, um, getting orders of protection while the process is made easier, you can go online and get it. But even just going before a judge can be intimidating and judges will challenge you. And so you're already in this traumatic state and can't really tell your story 
but they're saying, well, is this really going to help you? You know, so you have those type of things. Um, but one of the things that I really love is that you're focusing on the African-American community or women of color and, and helping them to, to really navigate uh, what happens with domestic violence and the power and control will and the resources. Um, can you talk a little bit more about the resources that are, are out there or what resources you're working with so people can hear about these other entities and organizations that are available to them? Yes, absolutely. So um, in the state of Arizona, we have um, shelters here within Maricopa County. Um, one of the largest shelters that um, majority of its population is African-American, uh, is the African-American community is the New Life Center. Um, and so that is a resource and a shelter where survivors can go. Um, but also, too, if a survivor is looking for an advocate or someone to help them navigate the process once they are ready to leave, um, they can also contact the Arizona Coalition to End Sexual Domestic Violence. That is an organization I used to work for. Um, and, and they do have a center of um, advocates there um, that will help you uh go through the process of making a safety plan and things and resources that you may need to help get on your feet. They also have a um, survivors committee for survivors of domestic and sexual violence um, where they meet and discuss um, the issues that they've been through and, and, and just a more supportive group on their healing process. Um, one of the main reasons why I'm running is because survivors and also all of us that live within the margins, we need more resources to, um, to seize the opportunity or have, or seize the access um, that will allow us to thrive within our communities. I mean, here in Maricopa County, um, you know, uh, we still don't have funding or even in the state, state specific funding for sexual violence. And so, or we don't um, have a standalone 24 hour rape crisis center, whereas some shelters have moved to provide sexual assault services, but just a standalone 24 hour rape crisis center, we don't have that here in Arizona. And so, you know, we still have a long way to go to make sure that resources are there for survivors. But, um, you know, if, if a survivor is needing immediate assistance, uh, definitely reach out and, and, and look on the website. Um, uh, Arizona Coalition and Sexual Domestic Violence, because they will also have a whole list of resources of shelters and other advocates in their area that may be closer in proximity. Floyd, do you have oh, okay. <laughs> do you have anything? Because I, I want to chime in on that on ACES DV when you get a yeah. No, Okay. Yeah. So like you said, ACES DV, Arizona Coalition to End Sexual and Domestic Violence is very near and dear to my heart. Um, actually, you mentioned therapy. And so um, I was able to get therapy as soon as I realized that my marriage was going awry and, and I was in a domestic violence situation because I didn't know that before. I just thought this was normal for people married, not getting along, right? Um, a friend, of, a, a colleague of mine in the therapy trauma group, no less, said, hey, you should go check out ACES DV. So I, I definitely want to highlight that because that shared committee that they have, they meet mm -hmm. uh, once a month. Um, and right now during COVID, we meet every week 
um, just so people will have an outlet. Like you said, there are people who you, you think are in your close circle, but they really don't want to be tied to what you're going through, or they may not be at a place in life where they can handle, you know, listening to your story or helping guide you through it. This survivor group gives you that support um, or, or connection so that you can feel like you're heard and you're lifted up when you feel like you can't keep going. So thank you for, for highlighting that. And then I'll hand it over to you, Alvin. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> well, I, like I said, this, this will be great. I know uh, uh, Ms. Walker has another commitment. Um, let me, let me ask you this now in your, your experiences, uh, dealing with, say, the, the legal aspect of domestic violence. W yeah, what was some of the challenges you had to overcome or, you know, uh, advocating for, say, your sister or uh, someone else? Were more like the uh, judges or uh, I know what Leslie had mentioned, you know, some of the challenges she had with judges asking her questions. What about you? If you can repeat the question, because my uh, signal went out, oh, okay. so I got the latter part of uh, challenges, but I didn't get the first part. And <laughs> uh, as far as the, the legal aspect, um, what, what were some of the challenges that you, that you faced, uh, like advocating for your sister or or maybe someone else uh, who was in a domestic violence situation? Um, I think it, it it's it's still um, within society a lot of victim blaming. Mm -hmm. And what that centers and focal point is, well, why haven't you leave or why did you allow this to happen? Or, you know, um, you know, the overall belief that, you know, a victim of domestic or sexual violence at that point in time has power control over their lives um, to make sound decisions. Right. Or, you know, even the the challenge that some uh, victims who are also mothers or parents, I should say, may face is, um, well, you know, how could you let this happen to your child or, you know, those type of questions where a lot of onus and a lot of uh, burdens are placed um, on the victim and not necessarily within the totality of the, the circumstances. Um, and uh, that is very difficult to um, to overcome. Or even when a survivor leaves, why they go back? Right. Because um, a lot of people don't understand the cycle of domestic and sexual violence and trauma where uh, it takes a person seven times before they actually leave and are, are done. Whereas in my sister case, my sister's case, she had to be physically incarcerated for a, a period of time because um, it was uh, it was over years where she will. Um, she was isolated. She had to move. She moved to Ohio. Then she would move back to Virginia, then go back to Ohio. So is this whole pattern where um, a lot of people don't know um, and, and aren't well aware of the um, the psychological aspects and pulls, pushes and pulls of domestic violence uh, relationships. And so those are some of the things. But um, also the survivor has to be ready, right? Um, they can't be pushed. They can't be pulled. They can't be convinced um, regardless of how dangerous it is. Um, they have to be ready um, to take that next step. And we have to honor that and respect that, even if we wish that they do something different. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much, Whitney, uh, for the time uh, uh, coming back on and talking about this uh, very uh, important issue. And I want to thank Miss Leslie Beatty 
uh, for also jumping in. And uh, uh, Whitney, how would people get in touch with you? Uh, you know, they want more information about your campaign or what have you. Um, please visit uh, www.whitneywalkeraz.com. Um, I do have policy stances and, and, and solutions on how I would like to address um, gender-based and interpartner violence within Maricopa County. Um, and you can also reach me and contact me there um, as well. So, yes. All right. Well, everyone. And then I like, oh, can I ahead. add one more thing real, mm-hmm. really quickly? Um, tomorrow is Wear Your Purple Day. Yes, and, uh, celebration <laughs> of Domestic Violence Awareness Month. So wear purple, everyone. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Thank you, both of you. And this is the Alvin Galloway Show here on RadioPhoenix.org. All right. All right. Well, Ms. how Ray. did you think that went? That went fantastic. How do you think it went? I think it went fantastic. Yeah, you did a great yes, job. Yes, I was so excited. And yeah. like everything she said is so spot on. Mm-hmm. And I think she says it better. I mean, she's probably had this narrative for a while. Um, She was able to hit on all the key areas that impact victims and survivors alike. Um, And and just even, you know, her sister being incarcerated and that helping her sister become aware that, you know, I need to get out of this situation, Mm -hmm. going back. And there's so many people who are so dependent on their spouses or boyfriends, their abusers, um, that they can't break free. Right. I mean, I, I hear the the calls, you know, the the conversations, and 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 me even standing on the outside and, and getting through it. Um, there are times when I'm like, gosh, if this person would just, and then I have to take myself, I have mm. to tell myself to pause because you can't judge right. because you know that where they are mentally and and emotionally. I mean, it's hard to believe that someone you love will do this to you. Right. And they're withholding money when they know you need to survive. So, so yeah, she, she definitely hit on on all the key points. And and like you said that, that before, you know, the other, other times you say it's that control. They want to maintain Mm -hmm. that control and that, that money they can take away is maintaining that control over somebody's life. Yeah. You know, and I look back, it's interesting. I'm, I, I was telling my, my close friend yesterday, I'm so fortunate because in my situation, I happen to have a job that could sustain mm-hmm. my children and I. Mm-hmm. We went through some really, really tough times. And there were times where I didn't know if I would even, you know, have a place to stay. Mm-hmm. My home would be in foreclosure, you know, so, so many different things. But, um, I was able to, I eventually used my voice and shared my my experience with my management Mm. and they corralled around me. There were resources within my company. So I was very fortunate. Not everyone has the job that I have. Not everyone is connected to the resources that I happen to be connected to, you know, to even get therapy. Everyone can't afford therapy. So we throw out therapy, you know, it's easy for me to say, go get therapy, but not everyone has that access, right? And the and if they have the access, do they have the time to go mm-hmm. to therapy? Mm-hmm. You know, if they're working, you know, a job that has weird hours. So, you know, people find a way, but but only when 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 the stress isn't as great and mentally they can get there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was fortunate, and and this is the one thing I did say to my girlfriend. I said, you know, I when I'm making decisions now, I am afraid 
I'm just as afraid as I probably was when I was married, right? Mm -hmm. You're making a decision, but you're making it with someone versus alone. But what gave me joy was, but if I make a mistake, it's my mistake to make. And I can deal with my mistake Mm -hmm. versus me feeling like someone forced me or coerced me into making a mistake and then having to deal with the repercussions while they get away scot-free. Amen. Amen. All right, Miss Beatty. All right. right. (laughs) Thank you so much. Okay, I'll talk to you later. All right, take care. All right. This is the Alvin Galloway Show, and remember to catch us every Sunday from 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. on RadioPhoenix.org. Check out our Facebook page, The Alvin Galloway Show. You can catch The Alvin Galloway Show podcasts on Spotify. Apple Podcasts, Breaker Radio Public. Don't forget, tune in, Pocket Cast, Overcast, and Castbox, The Alvin Galloway Show, and other forms where you listen to your favorite podcast show. And as always, remember that today is a great day. To make somebody's day great. Stay safe. Stay in. Stay protected. Stay healthy.
a hot one there that is a hot one the storm by cat riggins of her new cd cry out uh don't you be fooled by the calm before the storm she says i am rosa pox i am all that and a bag of chips cat riggins that's k-a-t R-I-G-G-I-N-S. You want to check her out. She's a bad mother. Shut your mouth. Let me tell you. Uh, Yeah, she says that uh, the project was uniquely special one to put together, mainly because I did quite a few things differently this time around. At the top of that list is signing with Golf Coast Records. Golf Coast Records. As an indie artist, and I gladly accepted the financial and logistical responsibilities and headaches of recording and producing new music because I was free to share my music in my way without fear of it being muted, censored, and altered. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. She, uh, she's a bad mamma jamma. This is the Alvin Galloway Show. 